Matthew chapter 27. If you don't have a copy of the Word, we can get you a copy of the Word. Scriptures will also be on the screen. I'll begin reading in verse 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way and make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So with your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit on this Resurrection Day, I would like to preach a message entitled, The Authority of the Resurrection. The Authority of the Resurrection. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord God, for a moment where we could get a taste of what we're going to be doing in heaven. As we join the angels, the myriads upon myriads of angels, as well as the saints from long ago, in that wonderful celestial throng to bless your son and to worship him as the lamb who was slain, yet he lives forevermore. We do say hallelujah. We say praise the Lord. And we thank you that he will bear in his body the marks of our redemption for all eternity. To remind us of the cost that was paid. That we might enter in through the door and enjoy fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Lord, until that time, 
you've called us to be ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation in the earth, to be witnesses, to be salt and light, representatives of your kingdom. Thank you that we could come and gather corporately to worship and to give you the honor that is due you, to even bless you with some of the resources financially that you've given to us. And now, Lord, we come to that time where we need you to speak. I'm so glad you're used to working with weak things and weak people, imperfect things and imperfect people, that you can speak your perfect word through an imperfect fallen vessel. So, Lord, help me to preach the word. Thank you that you gave me help through the Holy Spirit. And thank you that you gave your people help through the Holy Spirit to hear the word and apply the word. Help us to leave out not only excited about the fact that you are risen, but also better informed about what the resurrection is all about, that you've given us authority. Help us to live like it. And when it's said and done, we give your name all of the glory, the honor, and the praise. For it's in Jesus' name that I ask it all. Amen. The authority of the resurrection. As we come to the text in Matthew chapter 27 and in Matthew chapter 28, we see various personalities, various characters in the story. We see the religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, we see Pilate, who represents the power of Rome. And we also see death, because Jesus gave his life on the cross. But that's not how the story ends, because we also see life in the text. As we come to chapter 28, there's a peculiar personage that we must pay attention to. One who often gets overlooked because we're so caught up in the realness and the nostalgia of a resurrected Christ. We're so caught up in the fact that these heroic women come to the tomb in their mind to wrap and continue to anoint the body of Christ. We're, we're stricken by their courage when the men would not go. Again, so many wonderful characters that we can learn from, glean from. But I don't want us to miss this angel here in chapter 28. I'm going to do my best to call our attention to the angel because the angel has a word for us. And when we come to chapter 28, this angel is no longer hovering because he came down from heaven. He's no longer hovering He's sitting. Now, don't read over that. Don't miss that. Because there's something significant in his posture. The angel is no longer hovering. The angel is not even standing. The angel is sitting. And of all the places the angel could have sat, the angel chose to sit down on the stone that had once covered the mouth of the sepulcher of the tomb that once held the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. He sat 
on the stone. Now, angels are interesting because they have a lot of usages in Scripture. But probably the main thing is that they are messengers of God. And being messengers of God, that means they carry the message of God. And we see here that this angel is going to communicate messages to the women who are there. And he's communicating messages to us who are reading thousands of years later. The angel, the ministering spirit, is communicating a message from God. The first message that this angel communicates is something that is verbal. He's, creating a, he's communicating a verbal message. Because he says to the women, come see where his body used to be. So the first message is, come and see. And then the next verbal message he communicates to them is, go and tell. So today we have come to see that Christ is risen. The tomb is empty. But we just don't sit here as spectators enjoying the moment and soaking it in. As a matter of fact, because of the fact that he's not there anymore, that empowers us, emboldens us to go out and tell. So the angel says verbally, come see, go tell. But not only did this angel communicate verbal messages, this angel communicated visual messages. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, when the angel came down, an earthquake occurred. This is the second earthquake we see in a matter of days because when Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake and the bodies of the saints came out of the ground and began to walk around the streets of Jerusalem. Now we see another earthquake on resurrection morning as the angel of the Lord comes down, descends from heaven, and sits on the stone. But before the angel sits on the stone, the angel rolls the stone away. And when the angel rolls the stone away, we must keep in mind that this is a heavy stone. And when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, he told his disciples, all 12 of them, to roll the stone out of the way. But one angel rolled this stone out of the way. We know Joseph of Arimathea a rich man who fulfilled prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53 that Christ would be buried in tomb with the rich. This rich man, who's a disciple of Jesus, gave his tomb to Christ. He asked for the body of Jesus from Pilate. He puts the body in the tomb after having wrapped it as quickly as he could before the Sabbath came in the evening. He puts the body in the tomb and he rolls, he has a team roll a rock in front of the sepulcher. Usually there was a grooved patch there that the rock, which was shaped like a disc, could roll into place. And once rolled into place, it's too heavy to move because robbing graves was something common in that time. But when the angel came down, the angel moved the stone by himself. Now, the angel did not roll the stone away for Jesus to walk out. Jesus was already ascended. 
The angel rolled the stone away so that the women could look inside, go inside, and so that the disciples could look inside, go inside. Because Peter and John will show up in a moment once the women come and tell them the good news. They're going to run to the tomb and they're going to go inside. So the stone was not rolled away for Christ to come out. The stone was rolled away so the world could look in. Because Jesus had resurrected and he resurrected in such a way that his body passed through the, the grave clothes. So when they looked in, they saw the grave clothes on the slab where his body used to lay. But when he raised through the grave clothes, he became immaterial. But then he became material to fold up the napkin that was around his head and lay it by the grave clothes. It's just a picture of the body that you and I are going to have because he's the first fruits of our resurrection. We'll be able to be immaterial and material at whim. And then he walks through the walls of the tomb, no doubt to come out, because we know in other portions of the gospel he could walk through walls, immaterial becoming material. The angel comes to roll the stone away again, not for him to get out. He was already gone but for the witnesses to look in and see that he was gone. But the second visual message that the angel communicated to those first believers and that he communicates to us is in his posture when the angel sits down on the stone. He rolled it away, and then he sat down on it. Because that stone represented authority. That stone represented the last attempt of the religious leaders to overcome Christ, of Rome to overcome Christ, and even death to overcome Christ. But we know that Christ overcame all three of those entities when he rose again. And so the angel is there sitting on the stone as a visual message that Christ has taken authority over religion, over Rome or the state or government, and even over death. So I want us to look at this today, that number one, Christ's resurrection took authority over religious hypocrisy. Again, the angel is sitting, and that's a place of authority when you sit and where you sit. If you've ever walked into a courtroom, you know that there are many seats in the courtroom, but there is one seat that has more authority than everyone else's seat, and that is the seat of the judge. As a matter of fact, when you come into a courtroom, everyone takes their seat and the judge is last because there's authority in that seat. When the judge comes in, the bailiff says, everyone rise, everyone rises, the judge comes in, he or she takes his or her seat, they pound the gavel and everyone is able to be seated because there's authority where you sit. And the decisions that will be made by that judge will determine the life of those who stand before the judge. The angel sat down, signifying authority. Not so much in the angel, but in the one who the angel represents, and that's Jesus Christ. And the first thing we see is authority over religious hypocrisy. These preachers in Jesus' day 
for something else. The ones who should know the most about God, lead people to God, are the main ones attempting to kill the Son of God. So just because you wear a cloth and a robe don't mean that you're righteous. Just because you have a church doesn't mean that you're right with God. Some of the worst scoundrels in life can be men or women of the cloth. And Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Because there are many wolves operating with sheep's clothes, and, and they have their phylacteries large, and they have the word of God on them, and they have these long robes. But watch what they do as you listen to what they say. Because after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that was the miracle that broke the back of the religious establishment. And they said the whole world is going after him. We must stop him. So they began to plot to put him to death. Because in their political mind, they, they were more political than spiritual. In their, and watch out for preachers who are more political than they are spiritual. These men have access to the governor, but they're not using the access for the kingdom of God. They're using it for their own agenda. So I'm not impressed when a preacher tells me he or she's gone to the White House. I want to know what have you done with the seat you sat in when you went to the White House? Did you just pause to take a picture, or are you sitting there representing folks who need to be at that table but are voiceless? So these men had access, but they were wicked men. They said, we must put him to death because if he continues on, then we will lose our place under Rome. If he continues to go on like this, the whole world will go after him and we'll be out of a job. We've got to silence this man. We've got to put him to death. So they began to plot to put him to death. And they couldn't put him to death during the triumphal entry that we celebrated last week, Palm Sunday. They had to wait till the crowds were gone because they knew the crowds and the people loved Jesus. So, so, so they had to plot and scheme. And so it was out in the community that the religious leaders had put a hit on Jesus. That's why Jesus stopped walking openly, because he knew. And he's operating on God's timetable. No one's going to take his life until he lays it down, okay? But, but, but he's also operating in wisdom, because in the atmosphere, there was death. There was a death threat. Judas, understanding the environment, capitalized on this, went to the religious leaders and said, what will you give me if I give him to you? And they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And so he told them where to find Jesus when there was no crowd around because he made a custom of praying in the garden. Won't be nobody there. It'll be late. It'll be after the Passover. You'll find him there. As a matter of fact, Judas was so bold that he left the Last Supper, went and met with the religious leaders and the guards and the mob, and they came and they arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So they plotted against him. They arrested him. And when they arrested him on that Thursday night, they began to send Jesus through a series of seven unjust trials. The first person they took him to was Annas, who was the high priest last year. And so he's the father-in-law of the current high priest, Caiaphas. So they take Jesus to Annas. 
And after Annas judges Jesus, they take Jesus to Caiaphas, the current high priest. And after he judges Jesus, he sends Jesus to the Sanhedrin, the 70 elders, if you will, of the Jewish folk. And they judge Jesus. And they want to put Jesus to death. But they feel they can't do it without the help of the state. So they send Jesus to Pilate. Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, I find no fault in him. And the Bible says that he knew that these religious leaders delivered Jesus to them because they were envious of him. And when Pilate heard that Herod was in Jerusalem, because he heard that Jesus had ties to Galilee and Herod ruled over Galilee, but he's in Jerusalem, he sent Jesus over to Herod saying, you deal with this. Herod, as queer and as weird as he was, said, I'm so happy to see you. I've heard so much about you. Do a miracle for me. Jesus would not speak. They put a robe on Jesus to make fun of him. They mocked him and sent him right back to Pilate. Pilate tried to wash his hands of the situation because he saw the political entrapment that was going on. His wife having a dream saying, this is a godly, a righteous man. Have nothing to do with him. He tried to let Jesus go. I'll give you Barabbas. And they said, no, no, no. We want him to be crucified because the religious leaders influenced the crowd. And so Pilate then realized that his hands were tied. And he handed Jesus over to be scourged by the Roman soldiers, to be beaten, to be whipped. And all of this occurred because these religious leaders had a plot to kill Christ. But as they were operating in the natural realm, God had already determined from the spiritual realm what would happen from eternity past. And so they only did, according to the book of Acts, what was predetermined by God for them to do. God is still in control when things get out of control. And so when we come to Matthew 27, as they're standing before Pilate now, Jesus has been crucified. Joseph of Arimathea has put the body in the tomb. The rock has covered the tomb. These religious leaders go to Pilate and say, now listen, we remember what this deceiver said. Notice what they call Jesus. They call him a deceiver. They remembered Jesus talking about a bodily resurrection. Listen to this. The evil religious leaders remember what Jesus said, but his disciples did not. Because had they believed what Jesus said, they'd have been at the tomb. The women went to the tomb, but they weren't going there to find a risen Savior. So his own people didn't believe. And that's why faith has to keep being heard. Because faith comes by hearing, not having heard we got to keep hearing the gospel, hearing the word of God. You've got to be in Bible study. You've got to read the word on your own. You've got to come to church on Sunday because we can hear it and forget it. They've been hearing Jesus talk about the resurrection. They forgot it. But these dudes didn't. They remember. So they say to Pilate, uh, this, this man is a deceiver. And if his boys come and steal his body, the last deception will be worse than the first. So can you make the tomb secure? Pilate said, go your way. I already gave you one of my guards when you arrested him, one of my sentries, one of my troops. Take that guard and go and make that tomb as secure as you know how. And so we see that Christ's resurrection is going to take authority over religious 
hypocrisy. Because as they went to the tomb, they made it secure by sealing it and placing a guard outside the tomb. Talk about that in a moment. But watch this. The things they set up to try to stop the resurrection, hear me, Strong Tower, are the things God's going to use to prove the resurrection. (laughs) Because once Jesus had risen, the men who called Jesus a deceiver started telling a deceptive tale themselves, saying, just say that the the guards fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body. We we could stay on that for a while, but I I got a place to go. I got to keep moving. And so what they used to try to stop him really just validated the fact that his resurrection was authentic. Oh, my. So in his humanity and for the sake of his mission, Jesus momentarily submitted to the plot of the religious leaders. But in his resurrection, he took authority over them. So that when his disciples had received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, And the main ones coming against them were these religious leaders, the ones that they ran from in the garden. They're now standing up to in the city. And the Bible says they took note when they saw the the disciples' boldness that they had been with Jesus. Because if you believe in a resurrected Christ, there ought to be something bold about you. You shouldn't be sheepish or fearful when we believe in a resurrected Christ. We are transformed by the fact that what can you do to me? The worst you can do is kill me, but I trust the one who says, don't fear him who can only kill the body. Trust him who controls the soul and where it goes. He took authority over these men. Secondly, he took authority over Rome. Pilate, as I mentioned, was the Roman governor. He sat on the judgment seat John chapter 19, verse 13. Every governor, you thought a judge has a seat, a governor has a seat. Pilate had some authority, which is why he said to Jesus, when Jesus wasn't talking, Jesus was going through all of these trials and he's standing before the people, and he said to Jesus, Jesus, don't you know that I have the authority to let you live or to let you die? You need to talk to me. Jesus broke his silence and said to Pilate, you know what he said? You would have no authority over me if it were not given to you from above. So the authority you have comes from God. That authority is limited. And so in his humanity and for the sake of his mission, Jesus momentarily submitted to Rome. But in his resurrection, he took authority over Rome, and the angel showed that by sitting on the stone. Why? Because when that stone was rolled over the sepulcher, they sealed it all right, and they used wax to seal it. They they would melt wax on it, and they would put ropes over it. And in the wax, they would stamp the seal of the Roman government. And that was put there to say, do not tamper with this tomb. Because if you tamper with this tomb, you are committing treason against the state because you are an unauthorized individual seeking to gain access. And as you disrespect Rome because of this seal that you must break, then realize you are putting your life in your own hands and the death penalty awaits you. So the seal was put there, the stamp, the ropes, in order to say to grave robbers, like the disciples, but them brothers were too scared to go out there and do anything. 
So it prohibited unauthorized persons from entering the tomb. But when the angel came down, the angel didn't care nothing about that seal. The angel didn't care nothing about ropes that were holding it down. Didn't care nothing about the wax and all that stuff. Angel didn't even care about the guards. Because the angel rolls the stone out of the way. Sits on top of it saying that I'm taking authority in the name of, my, uh, in the name of God over Rome. Breaks the seal. Disrespects the state. And then the soldiers who are supposed to be guarding the thing, the Bible says they became like dead men, which means these brothers fainted. (laughs) Soldiers fainting because this angel was luminous. The angel was glowing. The angel was like lightning. The angel had power. And the guards looked and shook for fear and fainted. The women did not. Some strong sisters, aren't they? I wish I could chase that, but I got to get going so y'all can find some eggs. But, but man, those sisters were strong. They were determined. But Jesus took authority over Rome. Finally, Christ's resurrection took authority over the reign of death. So as that angel sits there representing Christ and, and presenting a message that Christ's resurrection took authority over religious hypocrisy, over Rome, Finally, and most importantly, his resurrection took authority over the reign of death. Romans 5.14 says that death reigned from Adam to Moses. So death reigned, death reigned. And then Romans 5.20 says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Because with Moses comes the law. And when the law comes, sin becomes exceedingly sinful. So sin is reigning all the way up until the time of Jesus Christ. Sin and death will not reign anymore because in his humanity and for the sake of his mission, Jesus momentarily submitted to death, but in his resurrection, he took authority over it. So death reigned until it ran into the resurrected Savior. So through the resurrection of Jesus, we see this angel is sending a message That Christ took authority over religious hypocrisy. He took authority over Rome. And he took authority over the reign of death. The posture of the angel to sit down on the gravestone reminds us that these three entities' last attempt to control the Son of God and to thwart his message and his person failed. And the angel sat down on the stone. Now, as I conclude, it's one thing for an angel to sit down on a stone to signify authority. That's one thing, and it's a powerful thing. But it's a completely different thing when the Son of God sits down on his throne because he has all authority. It's one thing when the angel does it, and that's powerful. But it's something else when God does it. It's one thing for an angel to sit on a stone. It's something else for the Son of God to sit on the throne. The Bible says in Mark 16, 19, Jesus says, So then after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. And you sit down when the work is finished. 
You sit down, not because you're tired, but because the work is finished. Hebrews 1.3 says, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's one thing for an angel to sit. It's something else for the Son of God to sit. It's one thing for an angel to sit on a stone. It's something else for the Son of God to sit at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down because he was finished. The work was finished. Okay, so, so, so what does this mean to us? I mean, okay, Pastor, can you make this connect into my world? You gave me some good uh, theology here about angels and about the authority of the resurrection, but, but, but I need some help tomorrow with some stuff that I'm dealing with. I, I got things in my life. What does this mean for us about sitting down? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when I got born again, I got a seat in heaven. When he rose and sat down, I sat down with him. In the spiritual realm, in the eternal realm, I'm sitting right now even though I live right here. What difference does sitting down make? Revelation 3.21, Jesus says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Sitting down. It's one thing for an angel. It's another thing for the Son of God. And then he says, I'm so good, I'm going to let you sit down with me. I'm the heir, but I'm going to make you a co-heir. And I'm going to let you sit down with me. And when you sit in the right seat with the right authority, it ought to change everything. Because when he sat down, we get to sit down with him. And because he has authority, he has given us authority. And we don't need to fear religious folks. We don't need to fear the state. And we surely don't need to fear death. We can laugh in the face of all of those things because of what he did and where he's sitting and how he allows us to sit with him. And according to Ephesians, I'm sitting with him right now, even though I'm standing before you right here in the dirty here and now. The way I really see this played out is that one of the greatest days of my life was the day in which I got to sit down. One of the greatest days of my life is the day that I got to sit down. And that was my graduation day in 2016 with my doctorate. I got to sit down in the area where all the graduates had seats assigned. Now, before I got to sit down, I had to do all the course requirements. I had to do all the work, and it took me four years. So that once having fulfilled the requirements, I could sit down on graduation day. 
Now, before I actually sat down, they sent me a letter saying, you achieved all of the course requirements. You can buy your cap and your gown now. You qualify to sit down on that graduation day. So from the time I got my letter to the time I actually sat down, you couldn't tell me nothing. Because I was walking around like somebody who knew he was going to sit down. I, I talked like somebody who knew he was going to sit down. It didn't matter what was coming my way. I knew that not only did they have a reserved seat for me on that day, they wrote my name in the program. Man, oh, oh it was set. So I walked around. I had so much joy. And during that season, I was facing so much hell. But I knew that no matter what I was going through, it wasn't going to take away my seat from me. So I just needed to live like I already had the seat because I had the seat. So I walked differently because of where I was sitting. I talked differently because of where I was going to sit. And when adversity came, I even said to my wife, it could rain that day. It don't matter. I'm going to be sitting out there cheesing. I could be by myself. It don't matter. I'm sitting out there cheesing with my cap and with my gown on. And the only reason I get to sit up there is because he fulfilled all of the requirements. You don't hear me. He did all the work. And he said, I'm going to give you a seat up here with your name. I'm going to write your name in the program of programs, in the Lamb's Book of Life, written in the blood of my son, never to be erased. You are secure. They try to secure that tomb, uh-uh. but I'm going to secure you in eternity. So live down here knowing that you have a seat up there. Because knowing that I have a seat up there, it ought to change how I walk. It ought to change how I talk. It ought to change when rain comes against me, when storms comes against me, when haters come against me. You can't stop this because I already got a seat up there. So strong tower, live down here like you have a seat up there. The resurrection gives us authority. Walk like you got it. Talk like you have it. Because you do. And it doesn't matter who's in office. You have a seat. It doesn't matter about religious hypocrites. You have a seat. It doesn't matter when death comes. And if the Lord should tarry, we all will face death. But it doesn't matter. Because we already have a seat. Because he did the work to make sure we could be seated with him. In heavenly places. Choir, come on back and close us out. Amen.
tonight as we dismiss, remember, infancy to fifth grade, stand on the sidewalk. We'll allow people to be able to leave out, and we'll begin our hunt after that. Also, we have a little photo booth out here in the uh, lobby if you want to take a picture with your family uh, because you all look so lovely today. Please do that and take note of uh, this year's Resurrection Day. So grab hands with your neighbor. So you can hurry up and get to the restaurant if you're not staying. Go home. Take that crock pot off. Father, thank you that we get to celebrate life. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who gives us a taste of what heaven's going to be like. Thank you that he allows us to get to know who you are, who your son is. We look for the day, Lord, where we can stop getting a taste and we can have the whole thing. But until that time, Lord, help us to live with the authority that you've given to us. You told the disciples and you tell us, go out into the world and make disciples because of the authority that you have. Because you pass that authority unto your church. So Lord, help us to live like the people that we are. Thank you for your work on that cross. Thank you that you got up from the grave as you said you would. You are worthy to be praised. You're worthy for us to give our lives to. So may we live like it. Thank you that we have help from your spirit, from one another, and through your word. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that is working within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. You got to hug somebody. Hug somebody.